Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Miss This. Welcome. Glad that you're here. We are going to jump into these chapters right here. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 18. So these chapters all pretty much cover the same story. And we're right toward the kind of the Last Supper all the way until Jesus is betrayed and taken away um, on his way to... um, for his trials leading up to the crucifixion. So that's kind of the time period of where we're at. Now, we looked at some of this during Easter week, but now we're back to the chapters where, where it took place. Where we're actually studying and, it happening. And we know we all did it at Easter, so we have gone through and picked out parts that we haven't talked about yet um, that are good for Easter, but they're just good lessons for always. Right. So um, as we're looking into these last few days, we are gonna be looking for the, the long, lessons that um, play out afterwards yeah so um what you have what the place where we call the last supper is actually a passover meal that's getting ready um and it's during that last week of jesus's life um, and he's come into jerusalem for one of the required festivals or feasts which is the feast of the passover now, what's interesting is I think Jesus picks this, well, I don't think, I'm pretty sure because he's God, picks this week in particular for his last week of his atoning sacrifice and crucifixion and resurrection. Um, the story of the Passover has been the house of Israel's like national story for um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So they it's, weren't the only one having a dinner that night. It's probably right. important to remember. That all across, in fact, um, um, oh, what's his name? The Bible scholar, who, Josephus, right? So there are probably close to 200,000 lambs that were sacrificed in the temple for Passover that year. Hmm. So we are talking in the millions of people who would have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. So we kind of wanted to start with a little bit of background to the Passover back in Exodus chapter 12. Just so we see, like, this is the story that people have been telling yearly for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it lands on on this night. So if you want to actually go to Exodus chapter 12, this is the original story of the Passover meal that Jesus has asked Peter and John to prepare for him and his disciples for the Last Supper. So you see in Exodus chapter 12, now remember, the children of Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. Um, So they've been in bondage to Pharaoh, and they've been under this heavy burden of slavery for all these years. And the Lord called Moses to deliver the children of Israel out from underneath the slavery and the bondage of of Pharaoh. Um, So already you see, you've got this, I think it's, I'm I'm about to like guess on a chapter here, and I think I'm right, but, yo, okay. Um, (laughs) It's Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, where the Lord says, um, this is, it says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens, and I will rid you of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Hmm. 
Um, that's the very first time that we get the word redeem in the scriptures is in reference to um, the exodus mm-hmm. of them being redeemed from slavery and bondage. And I just think it's really interesting that um, he says, I will redeem you with outstretched arms. There is just a foreshadowing there that's really neat. But Exodus chapter 12, remember the Lord sends all the plagues into Egypt. And Pharaoh's like, let him go, don't let him go, let him go, don't let him go. And he waffles back and forth until finally the Lord says, there is a final plague that is coming. Um, remember all the other ones, the frogs mm-hmm. and the lice and, and the, the blood, blood the river and blood. all yeah. those things. And he said, there is a plague coming that is worse than all of the rest of them. And this plague um, was going to be the, the debt, the firstborn of every family in all of Egypt was going to die. Now, the other, pl- the other plagues, I don't know, I can't talk, um, the flies and all those things only affected the Egyptians and not the Israelites. But this plague was going to affect everybody in all of the land of Egypt. It's symbolic of a plague that will, infect, will affect every single one of us. Um, and that is the plague of justice, right? Um, if Moses or anyone tries to face this plague by themselves, they are toast. Um, uh, nobody can face the law of justice with the way that they have lived. But the Lord says, but I do have a way that this plague does not have to affect you or impact you. And the instructions for that are in Exodus chapter 12. So look at some of the things that he says here. In verse 2, he says, This month will be the beginning of months, the first month of the year to you. Now, this was the sixth month of the Hebrew calendar, but the Lord says, What's going to happen here is so significant, it's going to rearrange the entire calendar. From now on, this will be the first month of the year because of how giant of a rescue this is going to be. Which, isn't it interesting that when Jesus dies... We do the same thing thing again. That that, it rearranges the whole calendar. Mm -hmm. And he says, Speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, this is verse 3, In the tenth day of the month, take every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb per house. And the next verse says, "And, And if you have too small of a family, invite friends over. But is that interesting? A lamb per house, Mm -hmm. right? That salvation will be a family affair. Um, Verse 5 describes the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, which means without any mistakes or um, scars or anything. A male of the first year, meaning a firstborn male, and you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. I hope you see Jesus in that verse, Mm -hmm. right? A male firstborn lamb without any mistakes and taken out from the sheep, set aside, or the Greek word for that is... um, uh, Christos, which means anointed, or or in, in Hebrew, uh, Messiah, hmm. to be set aside for a certain purpose. And you will keep it, verse 6, until the 14th day of that same month. So did you notice, go back to verse um, 3, it's in the 10th day that they're supposed to get the lamb, and it stays with them until the 14th day. Now what happens if you have a lamb in your house for those three or four days? Hmm. Right? And they've got to be God's most endearing creature in all the world. (laughs) And someone's going to give it a name. Yes. And And you're going to, you can't hear this story because (laughs) she loves animals too much, right? But anybody falls in love with a lamb after three or four days. And so I think on purpose, the Lord says, I want you to become endeared to this Mm -hmm. animal. Like I want you to fall in love with it because what it is foreshadowing is going to be heartbreaking. It's going to tug at your heartstrings to watch this creature you love so dearly die. 
Um, and then it says, and then you will kill it in the evening, or the translation that is twilight, right? The time of day that Jesus will actually die. And then you'll take the blood and strike it on the two posts and the upper part of the house. And if you skip all the way down to verse 13, it says, and this blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So that is where we get the name of this festival, which is Passover, meaning those homes and people that are covered by the blood of the lamb will be passed over by this plague. And if they didn't justice, have it, right, or what judgment, happens? then the firstborn would die, mm-hmm. right? And then they would be affected by it. And um, I, I don't know how many of you listening out there are firstborns. You can raise your hand if you are in, in every family. But that night would have been particularly emotional for you because you would have seen that lamb that you'd come to love um, on the table, dead on the table, and thought, the only reason I'm going to live is because that lamb died in my place. Mm-hmm. And anybody in the family would have thought that. You know, as, as a father, I, you would, you know, I'm give me all the frogs and flies in the world, but do not take away my son, you know? And so there just is so much in here that I hope you're seeing is really symbolic, symbolic mm-hmm. of, of what Jesus will do. And then this is interesting. In verse 14, it says, And this will be a memorial. You shall keep it, this feast, throughout your generations. Keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So the Lord says, every year I want you to reenact this and retell this story of the day that I delivered you through the death of these firstborn lambs. Mm-hmm. Like, because remember, after this, um, Pharaoh lets them go, and they are free from slavery. This honestly becomes like the 4th of July story. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for Israelites Israel. for mm-hmm. for thousands of years. It will be there. And remember, any place they go, that is how people recognize and, mm-hmm. and know who they are. Mm-hmm. This, These are the people that their God delivered them out of Egypt. And if you, if you don't know about the Passover, um, the Passover turns into a really symbolic meal that you eat certain things. You always eat the same things in the same order. There's reading that happens in between each one. So... In those homes at the Last Supper, as they reenacted this Exodus experience, they're going to eat certain herbs, and the bread is going to be made a certain way, and there's reading that is going to happen, and they will drink at certain times and eat at certain times, and it's everybody in in the whole entire country is having that same experience. And beyond, because people are coming in. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of the required, you know, festivals to to celebrate and experience, and so people will come in from out of town at great financial cost, and hopefully they have really liberal bosses to let them take off work and just come in to celebrate this all together. So everybody is doing this in all of Israel. And and still do. Yeah, yeah. Those Mm -hmm. who don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, Messiah, the actual one this foreshadowed for, still participate and tell the story of deliverance, Mm -hmm. right? We see this, a lot of Jesus in the story of the deliverance in Exodus, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so Jesus gathers the the disciples together for a Passover meal. And they're having this there. Now, at that meal, what happens is people, usually the youngest kid will ask the dad a question, like, Dad, why are we eating this? Or what's the meaning of drinking this wine? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then the father would explain and tell the story about how God delivered our people so many years ago. Well, at this particular Passover, Jesus shocks everybody because he switches the script. And when they ask about what's the meaning of this bread, 
he will break the bread and say, this you will eat in remembrance mm-hmm. of my body. Which, which they normally say in the Passover, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. So at that point, the, um, the apostles who had heard this a million times their whole entire life, they've all done it. They know what is supposed to be said there. This is the bread of affliction you ate in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, he's saying, this is right. my body. So you feel that shift happening right there that this is going to be different now going forward. Instead of this Passover meal, there is going to be bread and wine um, that will replace what is happening here because it's going to remind you about the new lamb. Right. So, interestingly, we have this fill in the blank here. Jesus on that night actually changes. Remember, God said in Exodus 12, keep this as an ordinance forever. And you might think, wait, we don't do that anymore. And it's like, well, actually we do. He switched it from sacrifice to sacrament. And on that night, he will switch the ordinance. So for years and years and years, you remember that uh, lambs or other animals were sacrificed um, at altars throughout all of biblical history as a way of looking forward to um, pointing people's minds toward that great and last sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this story of the Passover, which has been just, again, that thread throughout all of Israel's history, Jesus chooses to play out, you know, this final atoning week and crucifixion week during that Passover. Because you'll notice Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single one of them mention bread and wine on the table, but none of them mention the main course. None of them mention the lamb. And that's because the lamb is not sitting on the table, but the lamb is sitting at the table. And on that night of Passover, Jesus will go into Gethsemane and then onto Calvary Hill, and he will become the Passover lamb. He will be the firstborn lamb without blemish who will spill his blood in order that that judgment and justice plague can pass over any and all who will apply that blood in, into their life. So this is... This night has been, it's so rich in history and Jesus becomes the fulfillment of what millions have, um, you know, pointed toward mm-hmm. their, their whole life. And, and then he switches it to now from that point on, as we eat that broken bread and drink that water or, you know, wine mm-hmm. replaced with water, we look back on, you know, that the sacrifice of, of, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we still have the same experience, right? In other words, like you enter into a, a sacrament meeting room and, and um, uh, it's as if you're walking into the empty tomb. Uh, I mean, not the empty tomb, but the tomb and there is the lamb on the altar, right? And the priests stand at the altar um, will break that bread just as he was broken and bruised for each of us. They're almost reenacting the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And then it is, you know, it is given to everybody in remembrance here eat in remembrance of of my body and blood that was shed so that you can be passed over right and it's so interesting when he says in verse um 22 of mark 14 take eat this is my body that there's there are steps to participating in the sacrament and i love i heard a christian preacher once say um the importance of this take it and eat it is that you can have an entire meal right in front of you and still starve to death 
if you don't take it. Mm. And how important it is for us every single week to participate in what we now call the sacrament, um, in that that being filled by the Lord every yeah. single week. And, and to receive it. I love that even it, that it's brought mm-hmm. right to you. You know, really symbolic of, I think, what Jesus would do. It's just... It's just right there, like yeah. offering it, and but it has to be received. Received it has and to be remembered. our choice. Like He will honor mm-hmm. our agency, you know. Yeah. He will give us the dignity of choosing mm-hmm. uh, to be saved, choosing to be cleansed. You know, mm-hmm. we're not choosing to be saved, but you know, just yeah. choosing to to participate right in, in the that saving. experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyways, this is just a really, really powerful scene. Hopefully. You can talk about a lot of the symbolism of this. Um, Elder Holland just recently gave a really fantastic talk at General Conference. We'll link to it. Yeah, connecting this idea of, of a lamb in the Old Testament, this whole history of the lamb, and then also the sacrament and what that meaning, what that meeting can become and what mm-hmm. we can experience while we're there. Yeah. You know, um, it is from that place uh, at that Last Supper. Um, this might be neat to get a map out in the Bible maps, and, and they're numbered, where you can see where the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane is, uh, and where um, the upper room is what it's called, where they would have had this, and walked around the city walls um, to this um, to this garden, an, an olive tree garden. And it mentions that this is a place that they were familiar with, that they, that they went to often. It would have been a, a place that they were comfortable with. But the name of the place is Gethsemane, which is a Hebrew word, uh, that means the olive press. Um, this might be great to get up a picture or a video of what an olive press mm-hmm. um, actually looks like because I think there's a lot of symbolism in Jesus choosing this place to begin um, you know, the atoning sacrifice and, and crucifixion. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, um, then you have an image in your mind of what this place would have looked like. Um, if you haven't been there, one of my favorite things is that you, you will come out of Jerusalem and come down and then you walk back up into where would have been Gethsemane. And you really can see back over to the temple and to where everything would have been there, all of what was going on that night. But this place was quiet. It was removed. It was a place for contemplation and for um, for going through what would he would need to go through that night that would allow him to do that in the way he wanted it. And, and we know that it was a place he went to frequently because we know Judas knew he would find him there. Right. So that, that phrase, olive press, this is a place where they would actually harvest the olives and get the oil out of them. And in order to get oil out of olives, it takes a really intense amount of pressure. And so they would have a press that would be made of a giant um, just millstone in, in, in like a, another groove stone and with a bunch of people or an animal, you know, to, you know, to pull that stone over and over and over those olives. And it really does take an immense amount of pressure to get the oil out of them. Just symbolic of, mm-hmm. of all the pressure, the sin, the tragedy, the heartache of all of mankind being pressed down on his sensitive soul until Luke says that um, that he will bleed from every pore. Interestingly, olives, uh, during the, the first harvest mm-hmm. of olives, the, the oil comes out a red color before the oxygen in the air, you know, turns it into that 
golden color that you know of, but there's just a, in that place, there's just so much symbolism with, with what's happening. Even the way an olive tree grows, the, it doesn't just grow up straight. It just grows up twisted and, mm-hmm. and, and you look at them and you can't help but think of, of his, him just twisted, you know, in, in the agony of, of that place in those, in those moments. There's so many videos, we'll link to some of them that can really help bring about the understanding of that. And, and not only the foreshadowing of what was to come, but you may also want to spend time with your family researching oil in the Bible dictionary and um, the guide to the scriptures. Um, as you start researching olive oil and what olive oil does, it is for healing and for anointing and it is used with the priesthood of God. And there is a lot of beautiful symbolism that teaches us about um, the life-giving source that those olive trees would become spiritually and symbolically for all of us. Yeah, used forward. used for food. It was used mm-hmm. for light. It was yeah. used for medicine. For And you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan when he comes and he pours in that oil mm-hmm. and wine into his wounds um, for healing, for taking care of him. We've just left this part, um, a couple spots on here, over here where you can look at some of the verses that describe what Gethsemane was, what that experience would have been like. Um, and just just picture all of those things as you go through. I had the opportunity to be there um, almost a year ago. It was actually the week right before Easter. And as we were there, um, all of Israel and Jerusalem were just coming to life. Um, you've heard me talk about looking for those lilies everywhere we went. But what I remember most about Gethsemane is um, those trees take longer for the leaves to come out. And um, you could still see that it hadn't quite come back to life yet. It was raining on the day that we went, it was so cloudy. And after we got there, we had a minute um, to just walk through and sit under the trees and think. And I just wanted to quickly read you my journal entry from that experience. I said as I sat underneath that tree, if every sacrament could be like this, if I could sit under these olive trees, if I could trace my fingers through the dirt where he walked, the rocks where he prayed, feel the breeze that whispers through that sacred place, would I remember more deeply? And he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, and this that the world might be fulfilled, which saith he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people, and he will take upon him death that he may loose the bands of death which bind his people, and he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. Now the Spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the Son of God suffereth according to the flesh, that he might take upon him the sins of his people, that he might blot out their transgressions according to the power of his deliverance. And now behold, this is the testimony which is in me. There, un- just under that tree, was the, the Jerusalem lily that had been a signature mark at every important place we visited, God's fingerprint. And on my way out, in the midst of the olive trees, there was one small tree that had broken into blossom. Hope from the middle of the garden. Yes, this is the testimony which is in me. And. I won't forget that experience of seeing all of those trees and the clouds and the rain and that silent moment and truly just as I turned to go and walk the other way, there was this one tiny tree 
that had just broken into white blossoms right in the middle of all of that and for me that is what Gethsemane is it is that breath of hope in the midst of sorrow and sadness and heaviness and illness and sickness and death um, that Christ promised not only will I deliver you from that but I will be with you through all of it yeah yeah that's that uh, it's neat in those verses you're reading from Alma just about the verse right before to suffer and then then he says but I will succor which mm. means to descend below and and underneath mm -hmm. you know and then new life comes out but that I, I love that he says actually to his disciples in Matthew 26 38 can you watch with me mm -hmm. and there's something neat about in the Passover and then also in the sacrament in the imagery of Gethsemane the Lord's like I want you to just look and see and experience this and with all of as many senses as you can um, I really believe that during a sacrament service that that our hearts can transcend back 2,000 years to that place, that the healing from that place can come, that new life can be born in us, you know, mm -hmm. as, as we just are, are there experiencing yeah. it and witnessing it. And so a lot of great discussion through a lot of boxes where you can just... Um, Ponder that. Um, look for the symbolism. Think and about I, what happened. And our hope really is that it improves, you know, that experience in sacrament meeting each week mm -hmm. and, and makes that a more holy experience for, for everybody. Um, unless you have a one-year-old. <laughs> but, okay, we're just going to talk here at the end a couple things. It's just interesting this tutoring that the Lord um, takes Peter through. Like right here, these are just like these ending scenes, and it's neat that he's just right there. Mm -hmm. We know what's to come of Peter. He doesn't know quite yet. And just to see like even in these moments of agony and, and everything, that the, 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 the Savior is still preparing and guiding and strengthening Peter mm -hmm. throughout all yeah, of it. So good. Um, one of our favorite things is, is right here uh, to Peter in Luke chapter 22, um, verse 32. And you have to remember... Peter has now been through three years with the Lord. He saw him from the very beginning. He left his nets. He's seen the miracles. He's walked with him. They've had conversations. They've been at the river at um, uh, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. There has been that moment when Peter testified, Thou art the Christ. I know who you are. And in our minds, we would have thought Peter's heart was won over. And it's interesting because we're going to see a really interesting conversation take place right here. And it is so good for each of us to remember right. how this happens. It's interesting because he says, the Lord says to him, this is so, remember when he says names twice, like that's, back, that's a translation of something really tender and kind. Mm -hmm. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you. This is verse 31. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And, and this is a point where you think, like, Peter's faith cannot fail. He has walked on water. Like, why? That's impossible. But he says, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Right? Um, and that's so interesting that to Peter, who's had all of these experiences, the Lord says, hey, when you're actually converted, mm -hmm. well, I want and, you and to strengthen. And the fact that he's going through a conversion process right, right now. It doesn't end, and Jesus is letting him know this. This is a conversion process for you. Right. That he may have had a testimony, he may have have had a witness, but 
that Jesus is like, keep, almost like he's saying to his disciples here, keep strengthening mm -hmm. each other, right? Keep, and keep learning, keep, keep growing, keep allowing your testimony to increase. That's conversion, right? Yeah. That's a lifelong journey that doesn't end. And Peter says to him in 33, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Right? Like, you love Peter's. Like, I will die with you or go to jail with you, whatever it takes. And he says, Peter, the, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny, th before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Right? And, and I love that the Lord knows that already mm -hmm. about Peter. And, and he's still like, he well, hasn't... and it's part of his conversion process. Right. Right? It's part, it's not, it's not that the Lord says that and then Peter dispels and now that is the end of Peter. Um, it's part of Peter's conversion process is those three questions, which doesn't that give you a little bit of relief to think <laughs> that the times when I question, the times when I doubt, the times when I'm trying to figure things out and I'm trying to hold on and I'm trying to remember who Jesus is and what he means in my life and I'm walking through trying to remember what it is to trust because trust it's not easy. No, and, and really, in a couple verses from now, he is going to be sitting around a campfire with a teenage girl, and he's going to say he doesn't know Jesus. Right. Like, he's like, I'm ready to die with you. It really is a teenage girl. It's like, I, you sound like you're uh, from Galilee. Don't you know him? He's like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, and you're like, are you kidding? Are you scared of her? Yeah. Like, earlier, you stood up to guards. We'll get to that in just a second. And then now, you're like, it's just... But it's so real of our lives. Like we cannot paint our journeys, our conversion processes as these really neat and pretty, you and know, perfect. arcs. They're just we're not messy. perfect. And you don't enter into belief and then just believe, and everything is good from that um, moment. I had a friend once tell me believing is a dangerous way to live, and mm. I was like. That really is true because if once you give your heart to Jesus, you're not quite sure what is going to happen next and there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days and there is going to be moments of belief and there are going to be moments of doubt and we are going to journey even, through right? yes that um thing but that is how we come to know the lord and my seminary kids always want to ask about these three times peter doubted do yours do that why why did he do that they yeah. always want to know yeah. why did that happen and for me, I sometimes look at it and think it's good for all of us to remember there are going to be times of, of failure in our testimony journey. There are going to be times when we didn't do things exactly right. I'll never forget one of those times in my life. And I had a situation um, that um, one morning I just had this experience. And right before I got up, the Spirit had told me to do one thing. And as I stood up, in my mind, I thought I knew what was better and so i did what i thought was better in that situation what i thought was the right thing and then when i sat down something happened right after and immediately i knew i just knew have you ever had that moment before i had done the wrong thing i knew i had i felt the weight of it just come on me um, and you you know what that feels like it feels like guilt and it feels like shame and you just you have that moment of like I didn't do that right. Almost like you had the, the rooster crowing The rooster moment. crowed. You know, that it just was like, the I moment. heard it. was like, oh. Yep. Yeah. I did it. I did it. I did it wrong. And I can remember that day coming home and going into my closet and kneeling down on my closet floor and just praying, let me have a do-over. That is what I want. That's what I need right now. I just 
let me do it again. I'll do it right this time. Just let me have a do-over. And I'll never forget the spirit whispering right back to me, you can't have a do-over, but you can have a do-better. And there will be another moment in another time from now where you will be in a similar situation and you will get to have the chance to do it better the next time. And what I love about this story is Peter denied Christ three times right here, but you remember in John 21, um, one of our favorite chapters ever in all of the New Testament, when um, Jesus is going to invite Peter three times um, again to choose Christ. And Peter does all three times. And I think it's important to remember we're not always going to do it right. Um, we're not always going to be perfect, but we can have a do better. And Christ is going to keep giving us invitations to choose him. He will over and over every day for the rest of our life. He will give us the opportunity to choose him. And we can. Yeah. And that's such a neat pattern to see that God will call Peter to lead his church right after this happens. Mm -hmm. Like he hasn't wasted his life. He mm -hmm. hasn't lost all opportunities or chances in the future. Right. When he heard that cock crow, he ran away and wept bitterly, it said. But that that sound can actually be a sound of hope, you mm -hmm. know, where it's just like it's Jesus who prophesied that mm -hmm. that rooster would crow, right? Almost like he's like, God knew this about me already. Right? And it was still okay. Yes. And he still wanted to use me. He never convicts us in shame and guilt and says, you shouldn't have done that. You're a bad person. I can't believe you, Peter. You know, he already knew. And he convicts us with our righteousness, mm -hmm. you know, and, and says to our hearts, this is not you, right? This is not who you are. Mm -hmm. You can right? do better. So you can, like, let's, let's, let's do a little bit better, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so that is just so, I love seeing that. And with, you want to go in on this part and look at, um, in Come Follow Me, it talks about a talk from Elder Bednar, I think, is who it is about conversion and just... Watching oh, yeah. what we learn about that process of conversion is powerful and worth worth studying this week. And um, as I was studying the chapters this week, I, I love this little scene right here that I just want to end on to Peter where he tells him to put away his sword. Um, you remember there in the garden. So here's another moment of Peter's strength. Um, it says 600 guards come to arrest Jesus in Gethsemane. And they're there with their, with their spears and their swords. 600, mm -hmm. you know. And Peter starts swinging his sword, you know, and <laughs> of he, yeah, of and, he yeah, is. yeah, he is going to take on 600 of the guards, you know, mm -hmm. they're like, we've come to arrest Jesus. And he's like, like heck you have. <laughs> and he's like, get through me. And he cuts off the man, the main servant's ear, you know, and that's, is not a fencing move. He's going for the head. He, he hits his ear, you know, and I, I love that Jesus stops the scene. And he, and, and he heals the man's ear. How about that for a witness of Jesus? Mm -hmm. The man who's come to arrest him heals his ear. And then he tells Peter um, to put away your sword. And I've always loved this idea because in my own journey to try and do good and, and do right, sometimes I feel like I am fighting against an army of 600 people. You know, where I'm just like, trying to swing at it and and i know i'm not going to be able to do it and just go and jesus preaches the gospel here and he says no take me instead put away your sword the way we're going to fight this battle that you're fighting peter is to take me 
And that is the gospel. Mm -hmm. In our fights, in our journeys, Jesus says, take me instead. You won't fight your way through this. You won't be able to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. You will fail. You will die. So the solution is to take me instead. That's what Jesus says. That's the gospel. He, mm -hmm. he In our place. He takes our spot in our place. And so... Um, all, all of that. That's just like this is this is the redemption story, mm -hmm. right? Jesus came to pay that ransom from Exodus. It's been prophesied on, and here it is, playing out the great redemption story of all mankind. Yeah, so, so good. Okay, see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.